Welcome to the CRNA Club podcast, where we talk all things CRNA. As a practicing CRNA, I'm sharing everything I wish I knew when I was applying to CRNA school. I'm Sachi, your host and number one fan. Let's get started. All right. Welcome, you guys. Welcome back to another episode of the CRNA Club podcast. I am really excited because we have some special guests on today. Vinny and Amber, you may know them from Instagram, from YouTube. They are the CRNA Dream Team. So welcome, you guys. Thank you so much. We're super excited to be doing this. Yes. We've never done a podcast. Yeah, we've done a few videos, we've done some live events, but this is our first time on a podcast, so this is exciting. Yeah. Pushing the envelope, you know, that's what we do. We're (laughs) the dream team that constantly pushes the envelope. So when when you gave us the opportunity to get on your podcast, we were humbled and thankful. We're like, yo, this is our chance to just kind of step outside our comforts. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that is one theme that's pretty... I think clear to anybody who kind of knows you or kind of you know follows you on social media is that you guys are both very comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that is something that you guys both seek is to be uncomfortable. And I think that's a really key characteristic for people to have who are trying to find it within themselves to apply to CRNA schools. They have to be okay with being uncomfortable. So I think that is one of the big key components. And I, I can tell you guys definitely enjoy pushing yourselves and trying to, you know, be better in different aspects of your life. So I'm always really encouraged to see the content that you put out and watch your videos and, and Instagram. So I'm really excited to Thank have you, you guys for on. for your support. Yeah, we, we definitely live that life. We're always finding the edge and leaning in. I mean, I think that's where a lot of growth comes from. Whenever you're just in a place where you feel comfortable, you're probably stagnant. You're probably mm-hmm. not really growing and you can really slip into into some negative spaces in your mind and slip into depression. I mean, depression's in an all-time high in our lifetime right now. I just yeah. feel like every aspect of our life, you know, whether it's being a better CRNA, being a better partner, being a better friend, you know, I'm constantly trying, like, working on myself and just trying to be an overall better human. So... We, we call it, what do, what do they call alpha brain? Human optimization. Is that what he? Yeah. We just find all the different dimensions of our, of our life, whether that's emotional relationship, we're constantly working on a relationship, our, our professional life and financial life and spiritual life, all these different dimensions. We're constantly trying to optimize our, ourselves as humans. So we take this mm-hmm. thing called alpha brain. <laughs> it's it's uh, some uh, a conglomeration of different mushrooms by Aubrey like no, Marcus. Nootropics. Nootropics. Yeah. Yep. And Aubrey Marcus. I'm a huge fan of him, and so I listen to his podcasts and listens to his uh, uh, check out his Instagram. And he just talks a lot about the different things where the you're, potential, the human. potentials that we have as humans. Ah, interesting. Have to, you'll have to give us like a full. Uh, you should make a video on that, like. You've been taking it for like six months and like, this is all the changes that you've seen. Yep. You can get sponsored by them. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing. Yeah, like a supply, free supply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I want to give a, the, our listeners a little brief intro since maybe not everybody might be familiar with you, but Amber and Vinny, you guys are our favorite CRNA power couple. You are co-owners of Ascend Anesthesia. And you're also 1099 CRNAs. And we were chatting a bit before we hit record. And we were talking about how the world is changing. The CRNA world is changing now with 
1099. And, you know, this wasn't something that I really had heard about when I first graduated. It wasn't really a conversation. It wasn't like my classmates were like, I'm going to be a 1099 CRNA. No, we were all looking for W2 jobs. So you have a totally different perspective than really what I know and understand. So I'd love to talk a lot about that today. But you also have your own YouTube channel where our listeners can go and check you out too, where you talk about anesthesia, but then also travel. That's kind of more of a, a personal YouTube. Can you yep. tell us a little bit lifestyle. about that? Yeah. It, it really just surrounds our lifestyle, mm-hmm. whether we, that's travel, anesthesia, finances, fitness. relationship, and fitness. Yeah. I love it. Really just, you, he, he is so um, focused on just documenting our life and you know, if, if something comes of this YouTube and we end up with like millions of subscribers, that would be amazing. But like just documenting our journey is the goal with the YouTube and just bringing value to, to people that might be, you know, struggling with certain issues or maybe they are looking to go to CRNA school. So the video on that could help them. It's just. Yeah, it value. really boils down to our life. And I think that some there are people out there that align with our life and say, hey, I see myself in you, Vinny. I see myself in you, Amber. And we just try to create this positive documentation of where we're trying to go and what we are truly in our authentic selves. Like we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And so I think it's really important for us to to document that and make sure that people know like, Hey, if you're getting to the top, you know, this is how it looks like. It's not, you know, what top is for me is not always the same for everyone else. And so this is what it looks like for me. If you want to kind of follow along, enjoy the journey because we're documenting as we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One thing I really love about you both is that you are both very relatable as much as you are motivating. I think you both bring a sense of realism to this idea of, Hey, we're not perfect. We're trying to get better, but we also have struggles too. We also, you know, it's not easy. This is, this is the work that it takes to try to get to where we want to go. And not everything is sunshine and daisies, but that's the beauty of it. Cause it takes hard work or else everybody would already be there. So I appreciate you guys sharing. Yeah. Two sides of the coin. Cause I think at the end of the day, we all want to find people that we look up to and, and that we can relate to who we can see some of ourselves in, just like you were saying. Let's jump into just a little bit of your background, and then I want to talk about 1099 CRNA. How long have you guys been CRNAs, and what has life kind of looked like post-graduation for you both? So we've been CRNAs. We graduated in July of 2020, so it's been about three years as CRNAs, and then we've been doing locum tenens for two years. I would say life post-graduation, especially as 1099, is is I can't even like put it into words how awesome it is. Like you just, you don't have nearly as much stress. You get to really enjoy and just, just travel and be with your loved ones. And like you said, like life is so short and you realize like you don't want to work until you're dead. Like you want to actually live this life to the fullest. And now we actually have the money to do the things that we love to do. And we love anesthesia also. Like anesthesia is an amazing career. So life looks so good after school. Like you put so much effort into going to school. You put your life on hold. You put a hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollars on the line and betting on yourself. And you go through the gutter. I mean, you eat poop. You just <laughs> you're literally struggling, just getting pooped on, you know, and you're getting jammed with all these tests and there's so much 
going on with anesthesia school. The way our program director described it was, it's like trying to drink out of a fire hydrant. You know, you just constant. Just consuming so much information. And you really, like, you don't even get to see your friends and family. And then just getting all, I remember the day we passed boards that, like. We did it together. The amount of, like, euphoria you get from that day is, like, I can't even describe it. And, like, just going home and getting to celebrate that special moment with my family and then just going back to how things were before school is just, like, a really good feeling. It's kind of nostalgic. Yeah, it's a culmination of not just, like, anesthesia school, but it's the culmination of all the little steps that you took getting into an ICU. Mm-hmm. getting all those patient populations, starting to do your preceptors, you know, starting to train other people, getting all your different certifications, getting your CCR in it, all these all different the steps, steps mm-hmm. that no one told you you have to do and no one really guided you. And then finally you get to that and life is just so amazing because you're at the top, you're at the peak, yeah. you're the apex of your career. There, you know, there's a reason why we get paid the way we get paid. We are so special and highly sought after mm-hmm. that life is is amazing. But life know. really, it just begins, you it, know, when you, really when you become a CRNA. It's like your life is finally beginning. At least from... That's how it felt for me. Yeah, because, because my entire 20s, I spent working towards this goal exactly. in school, in the ICU, and then I'm finally where I want to be in life. And it's just, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I agree. I also remember that feeling of passing my boards. I wanted to take my boards before Christmas. So I studied really hard and I took it like, the tw- I don't even know if I took it on the 24th. It must've been the 23rd, but I just remember being like the best Christmas gift ever. Like it was just amazing <laughs> and incredible. And I think people who are applying now kind of in the next like year have had a really tough journey, even more so exaggerated because they were ICU nurses during the pandemic. Yeah. They, they're just completely have a totally different stressor during that application process for these people who are trying to get in now who have hit that two, three-year ICU mark. And so it's really interesting to kind of see the mental health side of people who I'm working with and, and talking to. And they're just, some of them are just so burnt out and I don't blame them. And they're just trying to, they're trying to do all the things, right? Vinny, like you were saying, they're trying to do all those extracurriculars. They're working with being short staffed. They're trying to save money. And it's just, it's so tough but it's kind of like a struggle because I'm over here like, come on, let's go. Let's keep going. Like work on your essay. Let's do it. Like I'm pushing them even more, but they're already pushed. Like they are kind of maxing out. And then you're about to enter an incredible stressful period in your life as well. So it's really important. You know, if you do get accepted and if you're listening to this and you're starting school, you have to take a break before school starts. You have to decompress because you are already maxed out right now in this moment in the ICU, doing all the things to try to get in, stressing for that interview, it's, you have to like give your adrenals a break for a minute because yeah, three years is a long time to be in school, to be also kind of depleted of everything you've got. So now that you guys have graduated, you are 1099 CRNAs, um, you're doing full-time locums. How does that differ from like a W-2 lifestyle? And if somebody is listening to this and they're like, you know, I hear a lot about 1099s, they can kind of relate that to travel nursing for them in the ICU. How is that kind of a a similar thing for CRNAs? And what would be some of the pros and maybe some cons of going 1099? 
So I'll say our first job was W-2, and it wasn't a bad job. I felt like we got a lot of experience. We got a lot of autonomy, but there was just things I felt limited. Like, I felt like I wasn't in control of my schedule. They required us to work holidays, and so we didn't get to spend time with our family, and we knew that that was, like, like a non-negotiable. Like, family is so important to us. And I'm like, okay, so... The only way we can do this is if we go 1099 locums and we make our entire like contract and put that we don't want to work holidays because most W-2 positions, you're going to, I don't know about you, but um, most of them require call or they require you to work holidays unless you work at a surgery center where they don't do cases. And not compensate you for it differently, right? So W-2 is is essentially a business on the backside where you're an employee and they have to run a business and you need to comply to the things that they need. And that's working those holidays and doing call and covering all the little holes that they have to fill, but not compensate you any differently for them. They might give you a little holiday pay, but at the end of the day, we all know that our time with our families, at least for Mm -hmm. us are, are invaluable. You cannot put a dollar price to that. And so once we started spending Christmas away for our first year as CRNAs and we're just like, yeah, I don't know about this. Like, I'd like to be in control of our outcomes in life. And and so we made that jump. Some of the pros to 1099 is that the flexibility of Mm -hmm. your schedule is crazy, right? So I come to you, Sachi, and I say, hey, look, I want to work for you. I'll provide you anesthesia, but I only work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And actually, I'm with Amber, who does it only on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday also. And we also only do this 12 hours a day. We also and don't do any call or work holidays. And we demand this rate, right? So then we now say we have agency over our entire professional life and saying, These are the things that we will provide you. In turn, we need you to provide us work, guaranteed hours, and a healthy workplace. We'll fill every other need that you have. And so there's a win-win relationship that happens there. And so, yes, we do get compensated a lot differently. That's one benefit. And we have the flexibility of our own business. Would you say that for people who aren't maybe aren't familiar When you work as a CRNA, you could work in several different capacities. You can be an independent CRNA if you're in an opt-out state. You can practice the full scope authority. You do not need uh, an anesthesiologist supervision. You're fully independent. You can also have medical direction, which is uh, what it sounds like. You are being directed and a little more, for lack of a better word, sort of micromanaged. You're, you're, You're kind of being directed a bit more with your anesthetic care and what things to do. And then there's also medical supervision, which is... uh, the anesthesiologist does not have to be present for certain parts of the anesthetic. They can just be available. And there's a different limitation to how many rooms that they can supervise and stuff. Um, a little more hands-off. So when you are a 1099 CRNA, are you choosing places that are maybe only independent or only supervised or only medical direction? Or does that even play a role in how you're picking assignments? Is your level of autonomy or you're like, I want to be in a healthy work environment where I'm getting compensated well with the terms that I want. Does does the supervision part question. come into play? It is, 
It is a good question. I, I felt like our very first assignment was pretty heavily medically directed. And so it was kind of a big jump going from a very autonomous W-2 position to that. But then I realized it, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. I would rather go somewhere in a great location, even if it's medical direction, if it's like a good working environment and the MDAs are, um, they have a good working relationship with the CRNAs. That's all that matters to me. Like mm -hmm. I'll do supervision, I'll do medical direction, I'll do independent. So it's not really a deal breaker for me. Yeah. I think it really depends on what, what flavor do you want to drink? Right? So for us, autonomy was what we sought after in as our first w-2 job mm -hmm. after we felt that our skill set was solidified and strong we said okay we got what we wanted so let's shift and lean more towards lifestyle and balance because now i can go to any facility and tell you I, we can do ob we can do pediatrics we can do really any aspect of anesthesia and so that is a really big selling point when you're a 1099 locums filling holes. That means that we can fill every hole that you need. But we had to kind of, we had to go we through the W-2 experience yeah. and, and get that experience um, under our belt. And when you're go, I mean, when you go from an uh, independent practice to a me medically directed practice, that's a huge change in your like normal anesthetic. And so I feel like the more you get out there and experience different anesthesia cultures and groups, the, the better you are to kind of be more, um, flexible and, yes. and you're there to help. You're there to, you're not there to cause problems or change the culture of the anesthesia group. And so that's kind of my mentality. Like, yeah, there's going to be some CRNAs that are like, I could never let a anesthesiologist push my drugs. And like, that's fine. Like that's, that's the type of anesthetic that you want to do. Then go for it. We're not all built the same. And I don't know. I just want a healthy, non-toxic environment. That's all I ask for. Right. Like I love anesthesia. We both love anesthesia, but it's not, we don't love it beyond our life. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that it's balanced with our life and how much we we have to give up kind of is corresponding to how much we're able to, you know, when we go to a, a facility that is very highly directed. Yeah, and I would rather honestly work somewhere with medical direction where I didn't have to take call versus going somewhere completely independent where they don't have enough CRNA, so you're required to take call every third night. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound like work-life balance to me. No, right. So, and we're at the hospital all day, every day mm -hmm. now. And it's like, if you live in a place like you, Sachi, I would want to be outside of the hospital <laughs> damn near every day. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You, you guys brought up really good an underlying theme. I think that's what the both of you is, is work-life balance. And we were talking a bit about this before we recorded the podcast, but where I work is medically supervised. We have a really good professional working relationship. The pay is not as much as what a 1099 CRNA would be, but I'm happy there. And you'll see other CRNAs on social media, or just even if you know people, they might work in a medically directed place, but they're happy. Or maybe people work in a medically directed place and they're super unhappy, right? It's just every place is going to be so different. And uh, the political side to the CRNA profession is something that a lot of people don't expect. And I was not aware of before I entered the profession. I think now applicants are getting a little more, you know, kind of aware of what they're kind of getting into um, with going to A&A meetings and kind of just with, yeah, with social media and all that stuff. But it is something to consider. And it's kind of something to 
just keep in mind that, yeah, at the end of the day, just like the country, CRNAs are all different. We're all going to have different political views. We're all going to have different views on exactly, Amber, what you said. I could never have an MD push my jobs. Like, okay. Like we're all, we're all different. And that's why emotional intelligence is so important. Knowing yourself is important. Knowing what's important to you and being self-aware ultimately that's where you're going to win because you're going to do what works works best for you. Because we need people. We need CRNAs to work in the medically directed places. We need CRNAs exactly. to be independent. We need CRNAs to be supervised. We need CRNAs to do P's and OB, right? Like we need people who are different or else we don't be the same. You know, it's like, that's what makes it, it's good. So that's all the political true. stuff, it's important to be aware of. If you're listening to this and you're like, what are you talking about? Go to the AANA website and you'll kind of see, but and we talk a lot about that on this podcast as well. But it's important to be aware of all of the political sides to everything and be able to speak to that intelligently in your essay, and in your interview. But at the end of the day, it's one piece of the puzzle. There are so many other factors that go into what makes a CRNA successful, what makes a CRNA happy, what makes good clinical experience, what makes a good job. It's all of the things you guys just mentioned. So you get, you know, you do, you do the W2 gig and you got stability, you've got yep. benefits. You don't have you've- to worry about losing your job you know, you get a lot more consistency. And I think that's where a lot of the fear of transitioning into 1099 really falls into is like a lot of people will be like on, on social, they'll say, Vinny, what, what happens if I lose my job? You know, Vinny, what happens? How do I do my retirement? And, you know, a lot of the things that we grew up knowing as no, what is quote, quote, normal is very different when you're doing 1099, you're running your own business. And so there's a lot of nuances that aren't always as easy to step into. There's there's definitely some barriers to entry. And I think a lot of it is the fear of the unknown. It's something different. You know, sometimes it's not hard. It's just new. And those men- mindset blocks and the, the fear of the unknown, yeah, can sometimes keep us in a safe and comfortable place because it's safe and comfortable. But there are quite a few people on Instagram referencing Instagram because that's how that's where I connect with like all the CRNAs that I don't I personally love Instagram. know. Like <laughs> I love Instagram more than TikTok and I will forever love Instagram more than TikTok. And people are nicer on Instagram than TikTok. Oh but. my gosh. Oh the, the TikTok <laughs> crew, they are brutal. Oh my so gosh. Brutal. So brutal. I'm like, I can't read the comments. Like I'm just like scrolling past the comments. I'm like, I'm not reading them. Just turn the comments off. <laughs> I know. I know. Um totally I get it. But yeah, there's like the 1099 CRNA. There are a couple of people who who are sharing a lot about how do you kind of weigh the pros and cons of what's a good rate for 1099? What factors do you have to consider with mm-hmm. your malpractice insurance and your health insurance and stuff? So it's good that this information is getting out there because there's a big CRNA SRNA Facebook group and the questions always come up the same. Oh, this 1099 rate is being offered. Well, what are the, some other fees that I need to think about? Like it's the same questions over and over again. So like there's a huge gap in the market as far as education goes in that arena. I think we're going to start to see people coming up with some solutions for that. But are you um, creating a course? I am actually. It's yeah, funny that Vincent, you're, you're bringing that up. Vincent is, was thinking yes. about creating a, a locums course to kind of, uh, I don't know, jumpstart you into the 1099 locums world and just yeah. kind of talk about all the things that you need to do to get ready for that. That's so a little so correction, well. we're not actually thinking of doing it. We're actually currently doing it. So I'm working with John Wildey, another CRNA who who moderates and owns the page uh, Locum CRNA. And a bunch of us are on there that are just specifically 1099 locum CRNAs. And they're always, like you said, 
all these questions are coming up. How do you do this? What is an appropriate rate? What's malpractice? Mm -hmm. what, you know, how do you pay yourself? How, what's appropriate rate to paying yourself so mm -hmm. your taxation is correct? So there's so many nuances. And so we're actually in the process of doing a transition into 1099 from a W-2 job. Uh, we're creating that course, and that will be available through Ascend anesthesia also so that stay tuned for that that'll be a really yes, cool piece. another project he's working on <laughs> i love it i think that's going to do really well because i see these same questions i'm like you gotta search the posts people like use the search function this question has been asked before uh in those <laughs> in the facebook groups i'm like but yeah there's definitely a need so you're, you're that's going to do really really great are were you both travel nurses before going to school Vincent uh, did travel nursing. Yeah, I did travel nursing. I actually traveled in Hawaii. I worked at Straub Hospital back in like, I think, 2017, right, 16, 17, right before getting into anesthesia school. And then I traveled all the all and up and down the coast of California. So San Diego, Laguna Beach, up to San Francisco, to the North Coast and stuff. So I did that for about two years before I went to anesthesia school. And then I got in, and that's where my journey started. But Amber, I don't think ever did travel, did you? No, I knew I wanted to be a CRNA when I was in high school. So <laughs> I literally took, like, the, the minimum steps that I needed in order to get into school. So I, as soon as I got done with my BSN, I got right into a ICU, did my two years, and went right into CRNA school. So had I not got – this was my backup plan. I said, if I did not get into CRNA school my first try – I was going to quit my job, get into a CVICU at Vanderbilt in Nashville, Tennessee. Because it was and, a level one. And then, uh, and then try, try again to get into school. And if that didn't work, then I was going to do travel nursing. Uh, interesting. Okay, she was so this the, is... the youngest person in our program. No, not or the youngest. One, one of, if not the second youngest person in our program, because she is such a go-getter. She did not waste a second of her time. Me, on the other hand, I'm like meandering into like my 11th year of ICU nursing. And it was like, what am I going to do now? <laughs> and so, yeah, I came in a lot later, got the opportunity to do travel nursing while she was like the beeline from high school to CRNA, she has the tidbits to all of that. Ah, interesting. Okay. So because you guys have kind of two very separate paths, really interesting opportunity. So Vinny, as a travel nurse and Amber as a non-travel nurse, what are some benefits do you think to the travel nursing journey that somebody who is travel nursing can really see as a positive before they're applying to CRNA school? What are some of those pros that they can tease out and build on as strengths as a travel nurse? I mean, that's a really good question. I think any weakness, Saji, that we have has always got to be twisted to be a strength, right? Like that's a mindset hack. And so for when I went and I started doing traveling, a lot of people were saying like, oh, you can't get on unit-based committees and things of that nature. Leadership you can't do. And so then I started thinking like, oh my gosh, that is a weakness. What am I going to do? And then I, I started to realize that, okay, why don't we twist it this way? I actually am a strength because I travel nurse. I go and see all these different work environments, all the different ways, just because a post-heart, post-cabbage patient kind of looks the same in the books, but in reality, how they proceed through that recovery process is very different. Where I was trained in an ICU, cardiovascular ICU, it was always, you know, vaso neo 
and insulin were all the things that we were tapering off. And we had a very regimented sequence of how we were doing that. While when I went up to Laguna Beach, I started realizing like, oh, they do things a little differently here. And then I went up to San Francisco and felt the same way. And then I went to Hawaii and I was like, everything's super chill out here. <laughs> but that's no different than anesthesia. There's 999 ways to perform anesthesia. And we feel like doing locums has made us more well-rounded as CRNA providers because we we know there's not an anesthesia machine that we don't know. There's not a... Charting system. Yeah, charting system or advanced airway technique, a video laryngoscopy device that we haven't seen, you know, a drug that we haven't seen. You know what I mean? There's, Absolutely. You're, you just become such a well-rounded individual when you are traveling. And so I twisted that. I was like, hey, look, man, I could fill any hole that you need. And so a lot of these programs are, I mean, at the end of the day, they're looking at, are you going to pass this program? Are you going to give us good numbers after retention a retention rate? And are you going to pass the NCE on the first round? We don't want anybody to ruin these numbers. So from a business standpoint, that transaction's got to work. And you have to say, hey, look. I can fill any hole that you need. Anything that you want, I can do. And so once you start to realize your strength, I think you start to understand the power of travel nursing. I think as a traveler, you're just so, uh, it's, it's like so natural to be flexible. And like, in a place that's uncomfortable to you. Everyone wants comfort and that's where people kind of rot and die, right? Because they want to be in a place that's comfortable. Uh, at the end of the day, Growth is on the other side of that comfort. And so if you put yourself in these places of uncomfort, in places that you're not familiar with, and constantly changing them, you're going to see growth. And I think that's where locums nurses and travel nurses separate themselves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that's what, you brought up a lot of really, really good points there. And that's something I try to tell people to switch their mindset as well. When you're kind of looking at your resume and all the points you want to include, like, yeah, you were a preceptor or charge nurse, but don't just stop there and put preceptor or charge nurse to new grads. What were you doing? You're leading, you're troubleshooting, you're problem solving, right? You're essentially staffing, you're solving all these staffing issues. You're quick to pivot, you're quick to adjust, you're quick to de-escalate escalating situations. You're having to talk to surgeons or doctors who are angry, family members who are upset. Like that phrase of just like, I'm a preceptor and a charge nurse. I'm like, oh, it's loaded. It's more than that. Let's talk about everything you've done. And I totally agree with the point that you brought up, Vinny, about it's a transaction, right? Applicants and when you're trying to figure out, oh, should I retake this class? Or like, how's my GPA? Or like, should I do this? Think about it from the program's director's perspective, right? It is a risk for them to accept somebody into their program who they're not sure is going to succeed. So they are trying to minimize their risk. They want those first-time pass rates. They want that attrition rate low, right? They want people to, to succeed in their program and represent their school really well at clinical sites. They don't want people causing problems. They don't want people you know, thinking like, oh, your students, they're really giving us a hard time. We don't want this as a clinical site anymore. That's why EQ is also very important. Also because you're dealing with big personalities, but also because we don't want drama at these clinical sites, right? So it's thinking about that as well. So if you slide your resume across the table and your transcripts across the table to a program faculty member, they are analyzing quickly, is this person going to succeed and what are the chances they're going to succeed? 
And that is what we're trying to build. That's what you're trying to show them by retaking classes, by taking the GRE, by doing all these things. You're telling them, I have the mental grit, determination to push, right? By doing all these extracurriculars. Then you're also telling them, I can study. I can take classes at the graduate level. I can get A's. The risk of accepting me is low. I have what it takes and I'm a a good person, right? So thinking about it from that perspective of, yeah, that's also transactional. It's a business at the end of the day too for them. So they want to have people who are going to come out as graduates and stay, you know, stay as CRNAs in the area and fill staffing needs and stuff like that maybe. So really good points there. So Amber, in retrospect, do you wish you would have traveled or do you think that I mean, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, and you don't want to look back on your life with regrets or, you know, think that things would be different because you're right where you ended up being. But, you know, in retrospect, do you think like you would advise past Amber to maybe travel as a ICU nurse or do you think? I definitely what? felt like I would have experienced more growth had I traveled as an RN. Just, um, I was, I was definitely the, the girl who was comfortable. You know, I, I stayed in my hometown. I, after I graduated nursing school, I moved back in with my dad just to kind of help pay off my student loans. So that was one reason why I didn't choose travel nursing. I definitely took the safe route, which is very, uh, classic Amber. Classic Amber. What do you mean? Since I met you, I've been (laughs) a completely different person, but yeah, you kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone. So yeah, had I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying that my journey wasn't amazing. I definitely like living with my dad after nursing school was awesome. And we really, you know, got to bond and, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I would have done it. And I feel like I'm actually getting to fill that, that void that I didn't have by doing locums. So I always said like, this is my chance to do travel nursing that I never got to do doing locums. I love that. that that's really nice. And it's, yeah, we're always, no time is wasted. You're always where exactly. you right need to be. No time is wasted. So right. what, tell us a little bit about Ascend for people who aren't familiar with that and how that kind of plays a role into your relationship, into your professional life, and kind of what your dreams are with that. So as a CRNA, you're required to get a certain amount of CEUs. There's Class A credits and then Class B credits. And I think your Class B is like your basic ACLS, BLS, PALS. If you are a preceptor, that counts as a class B credit. And then you have your class A credits, which are basically you have to do these more like extensive courses and take a lot of these are like written tests or not, not written tests. What are they? Not they written tests, you to but do? They'll, they'll have post tests. And, uh, or like the, in-person seminars, stuff like that. Right. And what the difference between a class A and a class B is simply that the A and A has approved these as courses that are legitimate, that are appropriate for your learning and saying, hey, you have adequately continued your education and this is the way to quantify it. Class B, you have to get it approved. And that's really the difference between a class A and a class B CEU. Mm-hmm. Well, Ascend Anesthesia creates courses that are all class A, pre-approved. And what we do is we actually have them as synchronized webinars that allow you to be where you are Uh, Let's say you want to go on vacation in Hawaii, and we're going to teach, Ascend Anesthesia is going to teach that course to you at the moment that it's happening while you are in Hawaii. And so that then makes us a a synchronized webinar that allows us to do that and provide that service. So for instance, we're going to Switzerland next week, and we are going to do some CEUs during that vacation 
Therefore, a lot of the associated costs that come along with your CEU are one, a deduction. Mm -hmm. So we're maximizing our tax benefits on that. So we're tax efficient. Two, we're career efficient. We're actually getting CEUs that we need to get, mm -hmm. mind you. We have to get 100 CEUs over the course of four years. Mm -hmm. So on average, you want to get at least 25 a year. And so, and then three, we're actually able to go on vacation, right? So we're actually able to enjoy a place at the same time. So the idea behind Ascend is it's ultimate, ultimate work-life balance mm -hmm. regarding CEUs and tax efficiency. And so that's where the birth of Ascend Anesthesia came from. I want to add also, if you're a W-2 employee, a lot of employers will give you CME money, and this money can be used to go towards your CE credits. And then you can also get reimbursed by your employer, your facility. Right. So a lot of older season W-2 CRNAs, and they, this is the way, this is the way that they do their CEUs so that they're able to spend time with their family if they have kids, uh, but at the same time vacation, but at the same time uh, have their company or their anesthesia group reimburse them because them as a business, Sachi, they have to say, I need to give X amount of dollars to my employees to continue their licensure. Mm -hmm. And CEUs are required for your licensure. And so that is a tax write-off to them. So it's the same idea is for you is that you will get reimbursed with that money when you go on your CEU and vacation. Mm -hmm. And many of you are co-owners of Ascend Anesthesia. So when we see uh, on social media Ascend, we'll think of think of you guys, right? Yes, uh, we we hope to, and 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 I think the name itself kind of resonates with us. We're constantly trying to push the limit. Like that's always something that I say to myself: Where is the limit, and when can we push it beyond that? And so Ascend Anesthesia, we hope to be the image of ascending and constantly pushing that limit. And I think we also want to reach out to, you know, the younger generations, the people that are on social media. And that's why he's really been trying to push ascending anesthesia on Instagram because this, the younger generation, like they're going to need to know how to get CEUs. And this is, I don't know, personally, I feel like this is the way. There should be. Yeah. There is no other way <laughs> that it. you should be doing it. And so, Stay tuned. We're actually, I'm excited. We're actually releasing our app. So Ascend Anesthesia is going to have their own app. So it's going to be completely mobile. That's going to change the game, right? So now we don't need our laptops with us. You know, all we can do, all we need is access to internet and a digestible mobile phone. Like you, you can digest, I'm sorry, a mobile phone that you can digest the content with. And so put on your Bluetooth headphones and, and, and then go relax on the beach and get your CEUs. <laughs> I love it. I can see it now. Oh, that's amazing. And I think it's it's so incredible. Yeah, it, you know, everything is word of mouth in this CRNA profession. It's a very small community. And uh, every year the conversation is like, hey, who do you use for CEUs? What do you do? I need to get like 25 by like next week. And there's, you know, it's always that struggle when you're looking at your due date and you get that email, you're like, ugh. I do my CEUs again. Dang it. I feel like that was just yesterday. So it's great to think ahead and also planning those vacations. I think that's a wonderful idea. So I wanted to ask you guys one last question, because this was actually sent to us on Instagram. Amber, you are a first generation college student and Vinny, you are a first generation immigrant. How do you guys feel that that quality about you and or characteristic has 
driven you towards success in life? Or how do you feel that that has impacted your journey in a way that's different from somebody who maybe wasn't in that situation? Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like we, we talk about our parents all the time and how similar they are with their backgrounds. And I feel like for me, I just, my goal is just to make my parents proud. And like, now that I am successful, I want to give back as much as I can to my, to my parents, because they really did kind of provide me with all these opportunities. I mean, from my, from when I was like four or five years old, my parents were like teaching me how important school was and like, you need to make good grades and like really make something of yourself. And like me and my dad were like, what do you want to do with your life? And I would have these conversations at such a young age. And so I really think that my parents kind of instilled this, this grit and drive into me. Me on the other hand, you know, being a first generation immigrant, you saw your parents grinding and Mm -hmm. trying to figure this out. Right. So I came to America when I was two years old And in the household, we're Filipino to the core. Outside of the household, it's America, right? And so the the social boundaries are very different. The culture is very different. And so you see your parents trying to figure this out, whether that be on the financial side. Like my mom used to work overnight just so that she could be available for us while we go to school. Not that we were, you know, we needed her to be there, but she wanted to be available while my dad was like working under the table at Dunkin' Donuts in upstate New York. And so we saw the grind and I saw the alternative to my life today, which is a very bountiful life full of abundance. And so the reason why it is that way is because I saw the contrast. I saw what it was to live in scarcity. I saw what it was to not have all the benefits and luxuries that we have today. And so that's that it absolutely cultivated me to be who I am today. And do you have any words of wisdom for people who maybe feel like they're not equipped with the same tools that maybe other people might be equipped with because maybe they feel like they're not good enough or they're not smart enough or English is their second language or maybe culturally like they don't fit in. Do you have any words of encouragement for those people who are kind of walking the same path that you walked? Yeah, I think that um, what I preach in my life is pushing towards the edge, finding the edge. And when you get to the edge and the edge feels like a place that's uncomfortable. That's what the edge is. The edge is when you find your the boundary or the tipping point between your comfort and what you're uncomfortable with. Once you find that edge, I say lean in, lean in hard. Um, and because when you do for a person like me or and, and the listeners who who haven't had these certain tools, whenever you lean in on that edge, you grow. And, and once your mind expands, it doesn't collapse. Once you see, once you feel these things, it doesn't go back to where it was. Mm-hmm. You don't continue this mind, mindset of scarcity. You start to realize like, oh, I deserve these mm-hmm. things. I actually am someone who is capable of doing these things. And then you start to realize like all it takes, the, the equation to success is hard work, Mm -hmm. a little bit of mentorship and guidance, Mm -hmm. and execution. You have to do those three things. And if you do, you have someone that mentors you, 
to do the execution. And then you got to have your mindset that says whenever you fall down, it's not a part of your uh, it's not your identity. Whenever you fail, it's not who you are, but rather when you work beyond that failure, that's your next step to getting closer to success. Get back up and try again. Yeah, and I think that's the same for you, not that you were an immigrant, but that you were a first generation. You came from very little. I didn't really have anyone kind of guiding me. I I had a, a good friend in high school. Her mom actually kind of helped guide me because she, you know, she just put her son through college. So she kind of had already gone through like the whole steps and like applying to college and like priority preview and all of that stuff. So she kind of was my little um, mentor, I guess. Because my mom didn't know, you know, she didn't go to a university. So, and um, so that just goes to show like you need a little mentorship. Mm-hmm. Mentorship is so important when you're trying to succeed in life. And so that lady was that mentor to you, mm-hmm. that bridge point between what you didn't know and what you needed to know. Yeah. And I think along the same lines of trying to find somebody to mentor you and trying to find somebody to guide you. It goes with putting yourself out there and meeting people and connecting. That's one thing I didn't learn until later in life, probably the past five years, is I I was always very like not very social. And I didn't really go out of my way to like put myself in social situations to like network and meet people. Because as nurses, you're not really in the business world. You're just like in nursing school. You don't have to network. But networking is such a common thing in every other profession out there. And it was only until after I graduated that I started realizing like, it really is about who you know and you can connect with. And the more people you meet, the more you're going to learn and absorb. And then they really look out for you. They really want to connect you. Like, you know, the next time I think of somebody who wants to do locums, I'm going to be like, oh, Vinny and Amber, they want to do, they're doing a course. Like, I'm going to send them your way. It's just the community is so small. And the nursing community, it's it's getting smaller with social media, even though there's tons of nurses. It's information is more accessible. And really, human to human connection can take you so far because we're sort of missing that in the world of, you know, digitalization, but it's something that I really encourage people to put themselves out there and just go and talk to people. That's why the AANA meetings are so important for applicants to go and network and talk to to people and meet CRNAs and try to find people to shadow and and, um, help with their process. Actually, I have a good story. It's kind of my journey of getting into CRNA school. So um, when I was in uh, undergrad, I, I was in a sorority, FAMU, and, uh, we went to an event. I, I was a senior. We went to an event and I saw a girl in scrubs and it was like the surgical scrubs. And I was like, I wonder what, I wonder what she does. You know, like, I wonder if she's a CRNA. So I asked uh, one of the other ladies that was there, I was like, Hey, like, who is that? And what does she do? She, I see she's in scrubs. And she was like, Oh, she's a CRNA. And I was like, no shit. And so like, I went right up to her and I was like, I'm Amber. I want to be a CRNA. Like, what do I need to do? Like, can I come shadow you? And so I, I shadowed her and then she wrote me a recommendation letter. Um, I applied to the same school that she went to. And on the day of my interview, um, Melissa LaFave, one of the program directors was like, you have a recommendation letter from one of our best students. And like that gave me so much confidence. And I was like, I'm about to crush this interview and I'm about to get into school right now. (laughs) Mind you, that was the only program that she applied to and she got in. And so I I think it was from that, that connection right there. Network is so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is so huge. And at the end of the day, when you're applying to programs and everybody's got A's, everybody's got A's and B's, everybody's got preceptor experience, everybody's got all the things, 
they're going to recognize names. They're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember. I remember Amber. I think she, I think I met her at a state meeting. I think she was the one we talked about my dog. We talked about our dogs and we talked about traveling and talked about Switzerland. I remember her. Okay. Amber's going to the right. Right. And you got to connect with people and put yourself out there. And it's a, it's a, it's been very interesting to kind of learn that later in life and think, man, if I had networked when I was a lot younger, where would I be? But, you know, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. but it's really important. And that's why to, we're here, right? That's we, why we're, we're here. We're speaking to the people that, yeah. that are after us. We, we blazed network. the trail because somebody <laughs> was able to make it for us. And here we are kind of passing it back down, paying it forward. I mean, these are the things that you need. Network, network, mm-hmm. network. Get yourself a mentor. The CRNA Accelerator Program is fire. Like, get on there. Get, get, start talking to Sachi. She'll drop all the nuggets. You get all the different things. And it takes your learning process and it just truncates it, right? It just makes it so short. You know the little bullet points that you need to know. Otherwise, you're just going through endless Reddit threads <laughs> trying to figure out what to do and what not to do. Right, right. We've and made who the knows mistakes. if they're right or not. Yeah, we've made, we've made the mistakes. We don't want we don't want this long convoluted path of of you know no's and stuff. We we know how it is, um, and we don't want people to go through the same struggles that we went through. So, uh, in wrapping it up here, I so appreciate you guys coming on. Any last words of wisdom for our listeners um, at all? I would just say. Um... If you, I don't know if you're ever feeling insecure, like I want to talk a little bit about imposter syndrome, get those like intrusive thoughts out of your head. You know, you are just as worthy. You're just as capable as anyone else applying to CRNA school. You can do anything that you set your mind to. I don't care what anyone tells you. And that's something that I've told myself from the, from the very beginning, like I can do anything, literally anything. And the sky's the limit and you just got to get out there and you just got to do it. Regarding that, I think that's a really good ending point is that we are all capable. But I think what's very important with that is that everyone feels those feelings. Everyone has these intrusive thoughts. You see us on a daily basis posting on social media or YouTube, and we're saying these are, we're pushing to get these. We're trying to hit these goals. We're trying to finish our our school loans by the end of 2023. In 12 months, we're going to pay $300,000 of school loans. That is That doesn't look like how it sounds, you know? It's like you really have to put in the work for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even as we hit our, our own goals, we have these intrusive thoughts. We say to ourselves, can we do this? Are we capable? I mean, just yesterday you had a, like, not a bad week at work, but you were just like, I don't know, I feel a little insecure with, with things. Like he missed his spinal yesterday and he's just like, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I feel like I'm a little rusty. And so like we, we deal with this, even as CRNAs, we go like anesthesia will humble you so much and you just have to be like, nope, I'm just in a slump. Like I'm going to come back and I'm going to feel more confident next week. And that's kind of what you have to do. It's having enough empathy for yourself to know that you are worth it, but also wise enough to know when you're not, right? When you're not capable, understand your limits, understand your boundaries, but also know your strengths and turn all your weaknesses to those. And I think if we could kind of focus on that mindset and those types of things, those inner workings that you have to do, and anesthesia school will teach you a ton of that. 
because you're constantly failing, you're constantly struggling, you're constantly uncomfortable, I think you start to realize how powerful you really are and that you aren't an imposter. You're actually the man or the woman and, and the one that's able to do it. Mm-hmm. And in anesthesia, there's there's not necessarily ever really a right or a wrong way. You can give the same situation to five different providers and they would say, oh, well, I would do a spinal. I would do a general. I would definitely do a sedation. And everybody's going to have their opinion about what's right. And sometimes it can be a little difficult uh, to, to hear feedback from other people who think their way is the right way. And at the end of the day, it's like, no, it's your anesthetic. It's you do what you want to do. And yeah, we miss an intubation. You miss a spinal. You miss an A-line. I missed three IVs in a row like a couple of weeks ago. I was like, what is going on? But you know, it's what? just it's- one of those days. You know, it's just one of those days, and you're just like, nope, I'm not going to let this get to me. Sometimes it's a matter of luck. It mm-hmm. really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not how you fall; it's how you land, which was actually t- said to me by an SRNA, which I really loved. It's it's how you land and how you come. You show up the next day with enthusiasm, or do you uh, stay down? But I think it's it's also really important to realize that that yeah, those intrusive thoughts, that imposter syndrome those can also be really good motivating factors to feel like you are not the smartest person in the room is going to motivate the heck out of you to not feel that way, to feel insecure. I bet, I bet Vinny, when you did your next spinal or the next spinal you're going to do, you're going to be like, I'm not freaking going to miss this. Like you're motivated to, (laughs) to turn it around and prove it to yourself. Like that was a fluke, you know, I'm coming back. Mm -hmm. And, this is the uh, real time right here. <laughs> yes, yes. This was, that was a patient's fault. That was, that, that was all that. Um, yeah, so it's, it really is so much mindset. And I think that is what we are trying to see and gauge uh, in applicants when, they, when we ask questions like, tell me about the most difficult time in your life. Because we're trying to gauge coping ability, mental agility, mental strength. We're trying to see what kind of person you are. So to be able to kind of share the stories that you guys both have shared with us today is a really good example of some of those interview answers, how you overcame, how you drove and pushed and utilized that grit and always tried to stay determined and pushing that edge, Benny, as you like to say. So I, I thought everything you had to say today was so valuable and so wise for everybody. And I feel super encouraged um, as well, just talking to you both. So, so on a selfish note, thank you. My day is just starting over here at 7 a.m. And I'm like, all right, we got this. Like, let me go be uncomfortable. So very inspiring, you guys. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I would love to have you guys back again sometime. I feel like you have so much wisdom to share, the both of you. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having us. This is awesome. Yeah. Just like getting to know you and talk about anesthesia. It's like one of our favorite things. And our life too. You know, we try to document as much as we can. So this has been an awesome, awesome experience. Uh, you know, if there's anyone out there listening and you are in that state of mind, that imposter syndrome's intrusive thoughts, Dude, hit us up. Like we 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 feel, have it all the time. Yeah, like yeah, we could just <laughs> share in misery together, you know? No. Like hit us up. Like we know the feelings. The most important thing is to know that you have uh you're not alone and there's a community that's here to support you. So hit us up. We're on social media, on Instagram, Vinny Two Guns, 
Amber CRNA. Um, she's got a pretty gnarly TikTok that that uh, she has. And like then I said, Instagram is my favorite. She got banged up on TikTok, <laughs> and she was like, "I'm not doing that anymore." And our and our social media on um, YouTube, uh, we're we're really trying to do as much as we can on there, bring some value to to our followers also. So feel free to hit us up, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, and I'll be sure to link all those below for everybody. But thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.